This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Addy on from ReachHire. We'll be talking about our topic today is fantastic. Uh, creating returnship programs for women re-entering the workforce. That's probably something we could have been talking about for the last 100 years, and uh, but we're talking about it now. So, which is wonderful. So, Addie, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Richar? Sure. Uh, so, my name is Addie Swartz, and I am the CEO and founder of Retire. And what we do is we work with companies and uh, a diversified talent pool, mostly women and some men, to help um, corporations bring women and men back into the workplace after they've taken time off. What's the what's the common so first that's fantastic by the way, what's the common reason I, I would guess for women it's uh, paternity or uh, maternity leave, um, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, but what would it be for men? Um, you know there are lots of stay at home fathers now, and yep. also point. people take breaks for all kinds of reasons. I think that what we've learned with the pandemic is that when life happens, you respond and nothing is a straight line. So, so there are many more people. And as you uh, intimated when we started, this is a topic that's been around for a long time. Um, not only caring for children, but caring for elderly parents, mm-hmm. having a health issue, maybe going off on a mission because you're passionate about something that you want to make a dent in and have an impact on and get off the grid for a while. So many reasons why people take time off. Should that be uh, a detriment to their being able to come back on and contribute to an organization? And uh, is there a loss to that organization for not taking advantage of people with different kinds of experiences that can add to the overall enriched fabric of the organization? Yeah, and again, uh, uh, punishment. Uh, we we shouldn't punish people for taking breaks or wanting to take breaks, for that matter. Uh, and it should be easy, especially if uh, you know re-entering. Uh, one would assume that they have some skills, or if they don't, we can obviously train them up and get them uh, skilled. Uh, so should be rather easy, but I can see where especially years ago when people would grade resumes incorrectly, but they would grade resumes with gaps uh, harshly, you know, Oh, you've been out of the workforce or you, there's this gap from 2010 to 2013, you know, what was going on? It's like, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I took time off. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, you know, if you think about it, we have all this technology now, applicant tracking systems to, to make things more efficient. And companies have recruiting teams that are set up to fill jobs quickly mm. and to look at certain skill sets. Managers are looking for 
specific pointed skill sets when they're interviewing folks. So what that means is that somebody who's a, a little bit of a different candidate can't get through a system like that. Right. Having a career break is one thing. Having older skills, if you've been out of the workforce, even you know three years, some of the technologies are different than they were, and you just need to get back in the saddle again. So our systems that our corporations rely on do not make it easy to have people come back. And we're missing a huge proportion of talented uh, individuals because they're just not able to get back on and not in a way that um, leverages their skills, allows them to grow and learn and thinks about people and uh, you know, candidates more holistically as opposed to filling specific job recs. It's, it's, I mean, it's, and it's silly. So let's just call it kind of what it is. Uh, it's silly that they didn't learn those skills before. So let's take some technology advancements. Uh, if someone's been out of the workplace for maybe the last uh, year or so, maybe they've lost the ability to understand how to recruit from TikTok, like say, just make something really dumb. Uh, uh, but you know what? Prior to that, they, they learned how to recruit from Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Okay, so like, okay, yes, it's different, fair, stated and covered, but they learned before <laughs> with a little bit of training and a little bit of learning, uh, they can learn something new. It's just preposterous to me to think, and I, and I know what, I know what y'all are facing. I know what the candidates are facing. They're facing this, this hiring managers, you know, dream candidate. Uh, and I, I talked to, uh, I talked to a woman yesterday. She's a VP of talent acquisition at SoFi. And we were talking about mitigating bias. And she said, listen, we, the hardest thing was re reorganizing and rewiring the hiring managers. It wasn't recruiters and sourcers as much as it was rewiring hiring managers to start looking for, do they have the skills? The skills being some, you know, the innate skills. Uh, or transferable skills and or some of the missing skills that they could easily train for. And do they have these things? Do they have potentiality? Which I thought was fantastic. And I love the way that she kind of wove that into the conversation. She goes, and it was hard. It was actually hard to get them on board because they would, they had this little dream list of, okay, I want them to go to Harvard and work for NASA and have a PhD and, you know, all <laughs> the normal. Superhuman candidates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only three of them in the world. Two of them are dead. Yeah. So, like, you know, but that, but that's what they face. And I, and I really found it fascinating. Do you, do you see some of the same things both with hiring managers and kind of the rewiring of their expectations and also kind of a hint of, of uh, maybe maybe hiring people for potentiality, not necessarily what they've done in the recent future or past, excuse me. Yeah, so you're hitting on so many important hot buttons. Uh, so you're dead on on that. I feel that it's still hard if you're a hiring manager, you know, and you have a wreck, it's because you figured out six months ago that you needed help and you just got <laughs> to the point where you actually have Correct well now and can hire yeah. someone. And then given, you know, the stresses and strains and tight labor market, it's even more challenging. But 
you know, you have in your mind a certain set of skills, you don't have a lot of time, and you're kind of relying on your recruiting team, your talent acquisition team to kind of bring you candidates that fit those needs. So I do think that, you know, so much has to change as we as we are in a very tight job market, we have to look at candidates differently. At Reach Hire, we do that every day because we've, we're have we working with uh, uh, professionals that have been out for not just two years, but five years, 10 years, right. 19 years. And so, and so like, we, we have to think about, you know, does this person have a growth mindset? And, you know, when you're thinking about um, things programmatically, and you're looking at candidates as a program, not an immediate hire, there's less pressure on the candidate, there's less pressure on the uh, on the manager, except for he still wants to get the job done. But it does, you know, it does offer a opportunity, a unique opportunity for a company to look at candidates they would not other look at because they really are maybe 75% qualified for those jobs, but not 100%. And by providing the on-ramp that we do through cohorts, it really provides um, the manager and the individual and the company the opportunity for growth to happen and that person to get up to 100% skills. So I do think that the current system that's set up that companies have make it harder to look at candidates that are outside the box. But we all have to look at candidates outside the box because there aren't that many candidates. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to look differently. And, you know, this new millennials and Gen Z's uh, group that we have, you know, their, their fortitude for staying in a company for three years or four years is, is less. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're growing, they're changing, and they're looking for different things. And so, um, you know, as you look at, you know, what we call returners, um, that are grateful for opportunities and can grow and thrive with companies that are open-minded and not biased on age or mm-hmm. background or coming from a different industry even uh, and are willing to, you know, try something that they might not have tried before. That's where we're going to get the growth and the opportunity. And that's why I think it's so important that we think more holistically about um candidate pools and just think differently and provide opportunity. So dumb question alert. You and I both take off five years, uh, same job, yeah, whatever it is, same job, same expertise, same background, all of those things similar. We're Twinkies, but we both take off the exact same five years. I'm assuming it's harder for women than it is for men, but I don't want to make that mistake is, is the data. Is the data like what? What do you see for two like candidates that took off the exact same time? What's what's similar or different about their experiences coming back to work? I think it might depend on where you live and hmm. what industry you're in. Some industries like um, expertise and deep expertise, and if there's a break, like financial services tends to be a little more forgiving than technology. If you're in Silicon Valley, I think it's pretty hard if you're a man or a woman. <laughs> yeah, um, good point. You know, beyond the age of 30. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but I do think women specifically and historically, because so many, um, so it has been so weighted towards women taking time off to either 
for personal reasons, for family care or other. Um, and economically, with the wage gap, um, if you have had a more traditional partnership, um, you know, your spouse might be making more money. And so the choice might have been that you stay home because your spouse was making more money. So there, it's, it's complex, but I do think that um, women have borne the brunt of it. And there are more women um, that are on the sidelines. And with the pandemic, there are millions of women that, you know, were forced to take time off because their safety nets, even as working women, were cut. Right. Daycare, um, childcare, school, um, you know, all the things that they would rely on so that they could work were gone. So I think that women have borne the brunt of it more than men. It's interesting. Um, the, uh, I say it interesting. It's, it's appalling, actually. Um, but after the year, the one of the pandemic, the, that December, if I remember the stats correctly, um, there's disproportionately women that were uh, laid off. So I think it was that December of 20, um, where you know a million people got laid off, we'll say. Disproportionately, 80% of it was women, and disproportionately within that number was women of color. And which just, it's, it flies in the face of everything we hear about in terms of diversity and inclusion. Like exactly. you know, out of one side of our mouth, we say this is important to us, and then and then literally you have the time to act. And yeah, things were chaotic. I get it, and and you know we were all scared. Okay, totally understood. But why would it be disproportionately impacting one group of people, and really one group, a subgroup of that? Uh, it's just appalling to me. Do you? First of all, did did you? See you read all the same things that I did around that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was two million. It went up to four million. It went down to one million. <laughs> it's it's been all over the place, and and the number of of women that have been you know disproportionately displaced, um, mm -hmm. you know, and and then you have to look at the sectors that the women are in as well. But really across the board, so many, you know, I, I, we see so many professional women who never took time off, who just suddenly kind of raised their hands and said, I give up, I need a break. Right. So, you know, I have always said a career break shouldn't be a career breaker and we can't be biased. And I think the pandemic has just put this front and center. All kinds of people for all kinds of reasons that are highly qualified have had to take time off. And how do we on-ramp them back into the workforce? And what is, is that a good thing to do for a company? And why is that good? Um, you spoke about potentiality. That has been my mantra for, um, you know, three companies in three decades. I've committed my career to women, girls, you know, empowerment and, you know, reaching your potential. And we need to do more. This next generation of both, you know, women and men, they're looking for opportunities to be the best they can. And they're not going to just, you know, punch a clock and be at a company for 25, 30 years and then wait for their, their little watch. So, um, yeah, that's you know, I, we need I, to do, we need to think about people differently and the life cycle of employees differently. I think that's actually one of the things that millennials 
Angie is actually, uh, and Gen Z has really helped us with is both uh, on the job hopping side, what we would have historically called job hopping, where people move more frequently than, than not. And also on the just, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to do this. And then just the ability just to quit and uh, not take it. I think that's actually helped all of us. Like the those two things alone have helped us. Now it's now it's again it's rewiring kind of hiring managers and leaders and recruiters and sourcers to look at talent, look at look at talent that maybe has been out, and maybe maybe for all for good reason, uh, or all for whatever reason they want it to be. They've been out of the workforce. And they want to come back and they want to add value. How can we unlock that talent pool? Um, so, you know, question that obviously the, the audience will ask is, okay, uh, smarty pants, how do we, how do we, and they're talking to me when they say something like that, how do you, how did how do we do this? Like, what's our first step? If we, if this is something that's really important to us, we see it, we understand it. Now we want to kind of rewire our biases and we want to attract this group of people. Well, I think it's tricky because. You know, what you need to do is look at, uh, do you have incentives for time to fill? You know, and if if that's an issue, then you have to look at that. But you also have to look at, it's not just about filling a job. It's about how long the person will stay. And if you have the, um, you know, the, the, the systems, the culture, the environment to, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to provide that support. And so, you know, the first thing to do is to um, open up the aperture and not necessarily be so specific in your job description. So when, what we, when we work with our companies, um, we actually revamp the job descriptions to be more broad in scope and not so specific and narrow in deliverables so that different kinds of candidates um, can be even thought about. Uh, So that's the first step, like are your job descriptions broad enough? I'm not talking about bias towards men or women, but really just sort of, you know, do you have to have every single thing on there? Do you have to have 80% of everything? Um, We found that, you know, on your topic of potentiality, People have so much potential. They just have to be given the opportunity, the space, and the support. So I think that, you know, broadening those job descriptions, number one. Number two, I think it's not just about bringing somebody back, but depending on how long you've been out, and if you've been out a year or two with the pandemic, you're going to go right back in. You have your networks. You have your skills. And that's not a problem. But if you've been out for, you know, four years, seven years, nine years or more, you might not have your network. You may not even want to be in the industry you were in. Um, And so bringing, um, you know, looking at this pool of potential talent differently and bringing people back in groups is uh, more powerful because people are together. They're on the journey back together and they're um, supporting each other. So I would say that, you know, be open-minded, think about, you know, broadening your, your job descriptions, um, 
you know, maybe doing some education. We, we educate our managers for our programs so they understand that this candidate that they are going to be getting um, for, you know, a six-month, what we call returnship, is going to be on-ramping. And they are not going to have all the skills on day one, but by the end of the six months, they will. And it's so impressive and powerful to see the skills that individuals collect along the way when they're kind of doing on-the-job training. And most jobs you do learn on the job. Um, but but I think that the other thing too, that you're it's not just about bringing, you know, how do we create the aperture for bringing the people in, but, you know, and, and it's good for the people, but is it good for the company? And I feel that, you know, returnship programs bring out the heart in companies because managers, especially with COVID, you know, it reinvigorates their feeling about the organization. And this offers hope and possibility to somebody that might have been sidelined because of the pandemic, might have been sidelined for the last 10 years and needs to get back to work to get a paycheck and pay for their family um, and their, you know, their obligations. So, and, and it also creates a really great sense of belonging. So it, it's more than just opening up the aperture and thinking differently about a candidate. It's about providing the environment uh, and, and building the um, community and the, you know, almost the um, employer brand around inclusion, diversity, acceptance, and potential, like you were saying. Yeah, it, and, and you're so, you're so much nicer than I am because some of this is also it's stop looking for the perfect candidate, you know, just just this idea that there is such a thing. Uh, the the job description represents a perfect candidate, a perfect fit. Is just a it's a myth. It's been a myth. It's always been a myth, and it'll continue to be a myth until we just bust it apart. Uh, I love that you went to belonging and inclusion because I was going to ask you about that next. Again, a lot of talk, talk about uh, diversity and inclusion and belonging, equity and equality. This is an actually, this is a wonderful way for you to actually stop talking about these things and actually do something about it. So I love that you uh, talked and talk, took us into that. I wanted to ask you a question about kind of learning and where you know, what we traditional NHR have thought of as learning and development, training and development, et cetera, and how maybe we need to push that, especially with these, you know, returnship, you know, uh, candidates, maybe we need to push learning and development closer to the front line. Once we know we have a really good candidate, their values are synced, uh, they understand what we do, they want to work with us. And uh, yeah, they need to learn some things. Okay. Well, every act technically, every employee needs to learn things. So not not new, not news at eleven. Uh, but what's your take on just kind of pushing kind of learning and development uh, closer, especially with this group of people, so that it's woven into, so we can get them uh, comfortable and 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 valuable and and, and adding value quicker. By again, even if they've been out of the workforce for nine years, they still have skills. They still have they still have things they they all have values. They still have right. the things that are important to us. And yeah, we need to train them on some new things. Okay, stay so, covered. Go ahead. I, I think you're you're dead on on that. In fact, um, that's how the cohort programs that we run um, work. 
So once you get selected for the returnship, you come in with a group of people into the same organization and you get training right from the start. So the first week or two, you are embedded with your cohort and together you're on a journey to refresh your skills, learn more about the organization and um, connect with um, the industry. So, um, and then throughout the six month program, there are opportunities to continue to learn. So learning and development is front and center. I think it's front and center for all different groups. Um, We all know cohort models work and um, that people feel a sense of belonging together. We actually um, have a tool that we designed, um, a, a a digital tool called Aurora that powers our returnship programs and has had so much impact on sense of belonging and connection and connectivity um, with our return program that we have begun to offer it to companies, further people, their women specifically, um, to help them build sense of belonging and connection and learning and development too. Um, And so um, I feel like you can't talk about talent acquisition without thinking about engagement and retention right. and otherwise all you do is you're an open door and just right. a revolving door and you keep like filling jobs and people leaving and filling jobs and people people leaving and of course you're always going to have some of that but the key is how do you you know bring a person into an organization have them not only survive but thrive and contribute in a way that makes them feel that they belong and that they can have an impact well, and, and, you know, I can't help but think that folks that have been out of the workforce, you know, again, let's go kind of longer number, 15, 20 years, and they return to the workforce, they go into a cohort, they feel like they're a part of something. We've got a company has invested uh, time, money, energy, training, development, all these things into them. I can't help but think that they're a bit more loyal. Now, and again, no slight that isn't the mess lighting millennials or Gen Z or hell myself for that matter, in terms of people that want to move around a little bit, but I just can't help but think that 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 group of people would be more uh, loyal to the company and to you the are managers. So, you are so right. You are so right. In fact, in our programs, 93% of the people that we bring through our programs are at the organizations three years later. <sighs> and some of the first people that we um put back into companies are there in their seventh, eighth, and ninth years. So it's super amazing. The individuals are grateful. They are so committed to making a difference and showing that they can do it and um, contribute to, to the organizations in different ways, you know, um, in addition to just their job um, through the ERGs, through the women in tech groups, um, you know, through the art collection and doing all kinds of extra pro bono work. So they're really contributing to the overall culture of the company. And imagine the power that an organization can show up demonstrating that all people at all walks of life at all stages can contribute meaningfully to an organization. Can and do. It drops mic, walks off stage. Thank you so much, Addie. I appreciate your wisdom. Love what y'all are doing. And I love this just the topic uh, because it's it's different and it's needed and i just appreciate you thank you so much i really appreciated our time together today vice versa and thanks for everyone listening to the recruiting daily podcast 
Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com. 